I prayed earlier, I forgot to release the children to their classes, so if you have children ages three to seven and you'd like for them to participate in our children's ministry, you can take them to the back of the room and they'll meet their leaders there. I wonder if you've ever known this feeling. You and some friends gather together to watch a movie. You've heard it was good, but unfortunately you didn't do your research on it. And pretty soon in the middle of the movie, the scene changes and a man and a woman are in a dimly lit room together and the music slows down. They're closer to one another now. And all of a sudden, you're scrambling in the room wondering, where in the world did that remote control go? You want to spare everyone some embarrassment, including yourself, of course. If Ruth chapter 3 were a movie that you were streaming on your television, you might get about eight verses in and think to yourself, I know exactly where this is going to end. But you'd be wrong. You'd be wrong. We're halfway through this little but powerful book of Ruth in the Old Testament. And the book is a lot like Ruth herself in the story. It would be easy to underestimate Ruth. She was a young, poor widow from the wicked country of Moab, trying to help herself and her mother-in-law in a terrible time, which was when the judges ruled Israel. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Very few people were obeying the Lord. How could someone like her be important in God's story of redemption? But God uses the unexpected and the unassuming people for some of His greatest works in the story of redemption. Ruth is going to play a role in the genealogy of King David of Israel, perhaps the greatest king of Israel. And eventually, she is in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Himself. And everything that takes place in the book of Ruth takes place in Bethlehem. We sang some songs, some Christmas songs this morning, this afternoon, about Bethlehem. And that is the place, of course, where the Messiah would centuries later enter into our world on a mission of redemption to save anyone who would trust in Him. Oh, believe me, Ruth is important. Now, we're considering chapter 3 today, and one commentator opens his exposition of Ruth 3 with this sentence, we are about to accompany a young Moabite woman on the most extraordinary night of her life. Now, if that doesn't make you want to turn the page and keep reading, I don't know what would. But first, let's remember how we got to chapter 3 in this true story. Ruth is a widowed Moabitess. She's returned to Bethlehem with her widowed mother-in-law, Naomi, to try and scratch out a living in this what is a foreign country to her, Israel. She's put her faith in the God of Israel, and she's therefore pledged herself to stay by Naomi's side. In chapter 2, the Lord 
then began to pour out blessings on both she and her mother-in-law. God gave a plentiful harvest, a sign of His kindness. And through the generous protection and provision of Boaz, a man of great character, Ruth and Naomi have plenty of food to eat now. Then near the end of chapter 2, we learn something very important about Boaz. Not only is he kind and godly, but he is a relative of Naomi's late husband, and therefore, he's what's called a redeemer, a redeemer in the clan of Elimelech. That was Naomi's husband. Boaz is one of the designated men who, according to God's commandments, had the privilege of obtaining the dead man's property and perhaps, if he chose, a wife from the man's family so that that man's name would be carried on. He is a kinsman redeemer in the clan of Elimelech. Now, Naomi has come back to Bethlehem bitter against the Lord because of all her loss. But by the end of chapter 2, she has even begun to see the Lord's kindness at work in her life. When you recognize the Lord's kindness in your life, it almost always sparks some hope, some hope that maybe there's more where that came from, from the Lord of infinite kindness. Let's pray before we begin in chapter 3. We're asking the Lord to use His Word in our lives today. Heavenly Father, we praise You that You have spoken to us in Your Word. You have revealed Yourself to us, and You are a Redeemer, a Redeemer of sinners like us. We pray that You would speak to us through Your Word today, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now we're going to work our way through chapter 3 in sections, three sections that are going to form the three points of the outline to my sermon. So turn with me in your Bibles, if you have your Bible, to Ruth chapter 3. It's not too far after the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and then it goes Joshua, Judges, Ruth. And if you get to First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, you've gone too far. So we're in Ruth chapter 3, and we're going to begin by reading verses 1 through 6. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, and then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. And so she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. The first point in this afternoon's sermon is a daring plan. This is a daring plan that is about to unfold in verses 1 through 6. Boaz was the primary initiator in chapter 2. He was the one who asked Ruth in the fields. He approached her. He spoke to her. He spoke a prayer over her, in fact, and he gave her extra food and gleaning privileges. He was the one initiating. But now Naomi and Ruth here in chapter 3, 
become the primary initiators. Remember that Naomi originally wanted Ruth to stay in Moab so that she could find rest in the home of a new husband, but Ruth's commitment to the Lord made her stay with Naomi. And now Naomi's bitter heart has been warming by the kindness of the Lord, and she begins to have hope that there there might just be a possibility for a new husband and a life beyond widowhood for Ruth. Now, that's what's on her mind and heart when she gives Ruth specific instructions that are there in verses 1 through 4. She's recognized, of course, the noble character of Boaz. He was called a worthy man in chapter 2. He's shown kindness toward Ruth in the fields. He's protected Ruth. And most importantly, his role as a kinsman redeemer in the clan of Elimelech, her deceased husband, has been revealed. Now, her plan is for Ruth to go at night to the threshing floor where Boaz will be winnowing and then sleeping along with his men. The threshing floor was a hard-packed surface where farmers would beat out grain stalks that they had harvested in order to separate the kernels of grain from the outer covering, which is called a husk. And winnowing which is what he was doing that day and on the threshing floor, was the process of tossing that beaten grain up into the air so that the light husks would blow away and the heavier grain kernels would fall to the ground. It was their way to separate out the grain. Naomi's instructions for Ruth are to wash, to anoint herself, and this means to perfume herself, to get dressed, and to go to the threshing floor where Boaz would be that night. She used to go near him in the darkness. She used to go quietly after he's asleep and uncover his feet and lie down right there next to him. Naomi knows that he's going to wake up in the cold night air and find Ruth there. And her final instruction assumes a lot. Ruth is to do all that Boaz tells her to do. (laughs) And that will be the crucial deciding moment in the plan. Now, it would be easy to read Naomi's instructions and believe that she's really setting Ruth up to seduce Boaz, but I don't think that's what's going on here at all. It's far more likely that Naomi's plan is a plan of faith to indirectly ask Boaz to be the kinsman redeemer for her family by obeying the Lord's command to marry a widow in the clan so that she can carry on the family name. And the washing and the perfuming and the nighttime meeting isn't to tempt him sexually, it's to communicate that she's not mourning the death of her husband any longer, that she's open to another marriage, finally. Of course, there's certainly risk in this plan. The threshing floor was a typical place for prostitution and sexual immorality to take place. Hosea Chapter 9, verse 1, the Lord says of sinful Israel, For you have played the whore, forsaking your God. You have loved a prostitute's wages on all the threshing floors. It's a risky plan, in part because it puts Ruth at risk, of course. There was oftentimes drunkenness on the threshing floors. And during the wicked time of the judges in Israel, the threshing floor at nighttime was a dangerous place for an unescorted young woman. 
But Boaz has proved his character. He's a worthy man who leads his men in the ways of the Lord, even in the fields. Naomi has calculated that it was worth the risk. And Ruth was a courageous woman who was willing to obey. All that you say, I will do, she tells Naomi. I think that we're seeing the initiative and the intentionality of faith in Naomi and trusting obedience of faith in Ruth. There's risk, yes, but there's always some risk in faithfully following Christ. Faith reaches out toward Christ. Faith takes a step in Christ's direction. Even though faith is a gift of God, we're called to act in faith, to make decisions. Time and time again, it was desperate people who acted with risky faith to move toward Jesus and to obey Him. The men, for example, who lowered that paralytic through the roof, the hole in the roof of a house so as to press Jesus into healing him, they acted with risky faith. The woman with the issue of blood that's recorded in the Gospels who forced her way through the crowd to touch the hem of Jesus' garment risked humiliating rebuke but was rewarded by Jesus for her faith. Time and time again, faith in Christ moved desperate people to step toward Jesus. Both Naomi and Ruth are acting in faith. One commentator says of Naomi, she's putting her trust in God's covenant care as it is embodied by His people in obedience to His laws. The laws about the kinsman redeemer, that's what she's trusting in. She's trusting that godly Boaz will take action according to God's Word. Where do you need to take action to walk in faith with Jesus? Are you starting your days with an action plan to avoid that temptation to sin that you know is coming? Perhaps it's the initiative and obedience to reach out to Jesus simply by meeting with Him in His Word every morning, to listen to Him, to be fortified with strength by His Spirit, by reading His Word. Maybe it's simply committing yourself to membership in this church that feels risky to you. It's easier not to be obligated to help others grow. It's easier to not do that than to come to members' meetings and to live in an open and transparent way with other sinners like yourself, giving them permission to call you out on sin and help you fight against it. What acts and steps of faith toward Jesus do you need to take this week? Let's read on to see where Naomi and Ruth's faith led. We're reading now verses 7 through 13. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, 
May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after younger men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. This passage from verses 7 through 13 is full of the potential for good or evil. The setting is morally dangerous. The language that both Ruth used and the author or the narrator uses is charged with sexual overtones, particularly in that culture. There's uncovered feet. There's drinking. It all happens in the darkness on the notorious threshing floor. The author repeatedly uses the term lie down or lay down, which was often a phrase to imply sexual contact between people. And yet, nothing wicked happens. Everything's honorable. Only something wonderful happens. This is a worthy man and a worthy woman. Ruth does everything that Naomi told her to do and more. And the plan unfolds exactly as Naomi has told her. But when Boaz wakes up, it's Ruth who initiates with him. She doesn't wait for Boaz to tell her what to do. Verse 9 is a key verse. Look there with me again. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Ruth has uncovered the corner of his garment, and now she's inviting him to spread your wings over your servant. In other places in Scripture, the term, the wings of a garment, is used to refer to sexual intercourse. Again, it's a sexually dangerous moment. But Ruth is a woman of worth. You may remember that in chapter 2, Boaz prayed for Ruth. He said, the Lord repay you for what you've done. This is back in verse 12 of chapter 2. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So even in his prayer, Boaz was using a term that communicated something of covenant love, as in marriage. Ezekiel 16.8 helps us understand some of her language here too. In Ezekiel 16, the Lord is the bridegroom who's describing how He has found and married faithless Israel. It says this in verse 8 of 16 in Ezekiel. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Ruth is directly inviting Boaz to become the kinsman redeemer for she and Naomi. She's proposing that he marry her. A helpful commentator puts it this way. She is saying that one of the ways the Lord will spread His wings over her in covenant love is by Boaz spreading His wings over her 
in the covenant of marriage. He would be the answer to his own prayer for her. But what would he say? He is willing and impressed with the kindness and the character of Ruth. And it's not easy to understand the layers of depth in his response. Look with me again at verse 10. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, it's tempting to think that Boaz is simply flattered by a younger woman inviting marriage with him, an older man. How kind that would have been, of course. But there's more to it than that. What was the first kindness that he was referring to? It's a kindness that he referred to back in chapter 2. It was Ruth's kindness to stay by Naomi's side, to come to a foreign country and to labor in the fields to try to keep both of them alive. That was the kindness that he remembered that Ruth had done. He's not saying that the second kindness is so much toward him. It's that Ruth's willingness to be redeemed is ultimately ultimately for Naomi's sake. It's so that Elimelech and her late husband's name will be preserved. Ruth's great kindness here is a kindness toward Naomi. And will he do it? He will. He will. He says, do not fear, I will do all that you ask. Everyone knows you are a worthy woman, but there's a problem. There is a kinsman redeemer in the clan of Elimelech who has priority over Boaz. He's first in line to be allowed the right to redeem Elimelech's inheritance. Boaz knows that everything must be done properly and honorably, and so while he commits to redeeming Ruth and Naomi's heritage, there's still a hurdle to overcome, and it's a big hurdle. Now, while it's not the main point of the passage, it's worth pointing out the honorable way that both Ruth and Boaz interact with one another here. There's no hints whatsoever in the whole book that either one of them is physically attracted or attractive, or that their interactions with one another are even based on that. What stands out about Ruth and Boaz is their character. And that's what our relationships with one another should be based on as well, character. Single people hoping to get married one day, you must reject the world's standards that say image and so-called physical chemistry is what you should value in a potential spouse. No, no, character is what counts. Character is lasting. Character is what pleases the Lord. Character is what you should look for. Value what the Lord values in other people. But there's an even bigger application for us when we consider what motivated Ruth to make the bold request that she does. Her request is based on her trust in the Lord's covenant promises. True faith The saving faith that the Bible speaks of repeatedly isn't blind hopes for various things that you or I might want. It's faith in the promises of God. 
the promises of God. Faith is a conscious decision to trust what God has promised to us, not what God hasn't promised to us. Hebrews 6.12 says that it's through faith and patience that we inherit the promises of God. You can't have true faith in God without knowing the promises of God. You have to hear them first in order to seize them, so to speak, with your faith. Ruth knew the promises of God. Do you? The greatest promise of all that God has made is to redeem and save anyone who repents and trusts in His Son, the Lord Jesus. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but would have eternal life. Whoever believes in Him, whoever has faith in Him. Jesus came into the world because we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and He went to the cross to take on Himself the Father's wrath that our sin deserved. He took it on Himself so that we could be gifted His righteousness, which we don't deserve. And He rose again to demonstrate that sin and death had been conquered, and that He was and is God's Redeemer. You may believe that Jesus is the Redeemer, that God the Father sent Him into the world. You may say, I, I, I believe that the Bible is true, but have you put your faith in Him? Have you taken that step of faith to follow Him, to live for Him as if He's your King? Your works can't save you. Only your faith in His promises can. If you're not a Christian, I wonder, have you considered His promises? We hope and pray that every week that you come to Covenant Hope Church, you're hearing about the promises of God, the promises of God in the prayers that we pray, the promises of God in the songs that we sing, the promises of God when we read the Scripture. Will you put your faith in those promises? Knowing that Naomi had a hand in all that happened that night on the threshing floor. Boaz wanted to communicate with her through Ruth. Let's read verses 14 through 18. And so she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment that you are wearing and hold it out. And so she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. The first point this afternoon was a daring plan. The second point was a bold proposal. And now this third point is a gracious pledge. 
a gracious pledge. Boaz's wisdom and kindness continues to show forth in that when Ruth woke up in the morning, he charged the men who must have been there on the threshing floor with him not to let anyone know that Ruth had been there, not to speak about her visit. Of course, that could have easily turned into rumors of sexual sin, that, but he warned them about that. And he didn't leave Ruth without a pledge of his good intentions, both for her and for Naomi. He sent her off to home with six measures of barley, which would have been about three times as much that she came home with on that first day of gleaning in the fields with Boaz. Three times as much. And when she arrived home and met Naomi, she reported all that he had done, but there's a special message about the barley. And the author makes sure to include that explanation for us. Ruth tells her, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Naomi had returned from Moab to Bethlehem empty, but now her hands are full, but not even completely full. The number six in Scripture oftentimes refers to incompleteness, seven being completeness. Soon, it will be more than grain that Naomi holds in her arms. Of course, there's more to come in chapter four. I hope you're able to come back. But I'm confident that Naomi read this gift of sex measures of barley as a pledge to her that Boaz would follow through on that promise that he had made, even that day. Naomi and Ruth had to wait to see whether Boaz would be the kinsman redeemer that they had hoped for. But in the meantime, they had this gracious pledge of barley as a sign of his intentions. We too are waiting for something. We're waiting for our final redemption in Christ. When He will come back on the clouds with the sound of a trumpet and in His glory and He'll take us to be with Him and the Father in the new heavens and the new earth. But we have a gracious pledge to hold on to in the meantime. The Spirit is the Lord's pledge to us that we are His and no one can take us from Him. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 say, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. When we put our faith in Christ and in the promises that are all fulfilled in Christ, He gifts us with the Spirit. He's always with us through the Spirit. He strengthens and protects us with the indwelling Spirit. If you sense the Spirit at work in you, remember to thank the Lord for this seal and guarantee that you are His and no one can take you from Him. In this chapter, we see the initiative and intentionality of faith. We see faith that's grounded in the promises of the Lord, the covenant promises. We see two people who are drawn to the beauty of each other's character, not physical beauty. We see in this pledge of Boaz's promise something that points us to the gracious pledge of the Spirit that dwells in us as we wait for our final redemption. But we can't miss the presence 
of the Redeemer that this passage points to as well. The greater Redeemer in Christ that Boaz reminds us of is right here in this passage. Just as Boaz said to Ruth, do not fear, I will do for you all that you ask. When we come to Christ in faith, He readily and joyfully responds by pledging Himself to us. There's no period of probation. There's no mulling over a decision about whether to save or not in Jesus Christ. Think of the time that this that man with leprosy approached Jesus in bold faith, risking public rejection and rebuke. That disfigured man came to Jesus. He knelt and begged, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out His hand and touched him and said, I will. Jesus promised in John 6, 37, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Jesus' joyful response to our requests of faith to be accepted by Him is, yes, of course. There's no one who's currently not trusting in Christ who cannot be saved if you would but go to Him in faith. That's all that's necessary. There's nothing you've done that His blood can't wash away. Nothing. There's nothing that disqualifies you from being saved by Him except never going to Him. Perhaps there's something that you you Christian, have done that you feel is is too far sinful, too wicked, too much for Jesus to handle, will He wash you clean and receive you even now? Of course He will. Of course He will. That's His nature. He's unlike us. He is infinitely gracious. Just as Boaz was pledging to spread the wings of His garment over Ruth in symbolic commitment. Christ happily spreads His robes of righteousness over us in everlasting covenant love. Ruth was a worthy woman, and Boaz recognized it, but Christ recognizes our unworthiness and still responds by pouring out His lavish love on us. Remember that thief on the cross next to Jesus as He hung there dying? One request of faith from a condemned man, and Christ responded, Today you will be with me in paradise. Not a hint of hesitation in this Jesus. Could you hope for a more kind and gracious Savior than Christ? The promise of Christ to receive us immediately and with great joy is not just something that He has to do. No, it's something that He wants to do. As Dane Ortland says in his book, Gentle and Lowly, the willing embrace that the Lord Jesus responds to us with is not only a matter of divine decree, but it's a matter also of divine desire. Just as Boaz desired to do what Ruth asked, so Jesus desires to save those who trust Him. And He does it with joy. You and I need to understand our Redeemer, Jesus. We need to savor the the love of this Jesus. The message of this chapter 
chapter 3 is that we should seek the Lord with faith, even Christ specifically with faith, to gain His sure promise of redemption. And He will do it. He will do it. We need it. We need this certainty today. We need it this coming week, and we need it till our dying day, in fact. Let's Savior and trust in this Jesus all the more. Let's go to Him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise You that You did not withhold Your only Son, but sent Him into the world to save us. And we praise You and thank You that You did that willingly and joyfully, and that Christ did that willingly and joyfully, and You respond immediately and with great desire to anyone who turns to You in faith. Lord, help us savor who You are, our Redeemer. In Christ's name we pray, amen.